This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello everybody and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm executive director of Healthcare Voter, as well as a healthcare uh, survivor of the American healthcare system. I was diagnosed with cancer uh, several years ago and went through uh, insurance denials, uh, coverage uh, not being covered, and much more. And we are here with the experts to answer your healthcare and health insurance questions and get you the care that you need. And also, we have a special guest later that will be talking about the war on medication abortion. So to start with, uh, our first question is from Janine, who wants to know, why is it that my husband's insurance uh, for him, a fully covered PPO plan with dental, vision, and medical is $150 a month, but then mine costs $600 for the same thing through his employer. It seems punitive. To answer that, Welcome, Alika from Health Sherpa. Thanks, Laura. So the reason that the cost for a plan offered directly to the employee and to the employee's spouse or family member can be different is because employers actually have to follow affordability rules when they offer um, a plan to the employee that that plan has to be considered affordable to meet ACA guidelines, but they don't have to follow those same rules for the for the. Um, Previously, um, if just being offered that coverage as a spouse or a child of, of someone on an employer plan um, would have meant you couldn't qualify for subsidies on an Affordable Care Act uh, market. Um, thankfully, that's changed this year. So um, now, if as a family member, um, the plan would cost you more than about 9% of your household income, you might be eligible for a subsidized Affordable Care Act plan instead. So in this situation, would definitely recommend you go to healthcare.gov or your local state marketplace, um, work with a broker or a local navigator, and see what you might be able to qualify for on the exchange. Thanks, Alika. And our next question is from Lori, who wants to know, what if you're not old enough for Medicare? Um, that's their current problem. They changed the tier which multiplied my copay from $60 to $464 per month for my heart medicine. Alika? Great question. Um, again, it, Depending on it, kind of depends on what you're eligible for. Um, if you are um, eligible for employer-sponsored coverage, you may be um, have fewer options. But depending on your income, you still might be eligible for, for example, free or low-cost coverage um, through your state through Medicaid. Always a good idea to um, check your eligibility for that, as often um, Medicaid um, will cover. Uh, some of those prescriptions and copays at a very, very low cost. Um, so step one, check your eligibility for Medicaid. If you're not offered employer-sponsored coverage that is considered affordable, you can also take a look at the ACA marketplaces and see what you could qualify there instead. I will say, if you're already on the ACA marketplace, make sure that this open enrollment, you go back and you check your plan options. Um, plans and prices can change every year, and it's really important, um, particularly with some of those tier changes that you're going back shopping making sure the plan you're in is still the best plan for you. Thanks, Alika. Our next question is from Dennis. And Dennis says, I live in Missouri and I lost my pain management doctor three months ago. 
I need a new pain management doctor and can't find one. My insurance says they have to be within a 40-mile radius. I also have Medicaid and Medicare, and I will have to update my state health care in a few months, and I need some help. Uh, to answer that, welcome Diane Archer from Just Care and Social Security Works. Thanks, Laura. So this is a real problem, Dennis, um, particularly um, for people living in rural areas, but really across the country, there are a shortage of lots of different doctors. And then if your insurance is through an insurance company and not through the federal government, uh, then you often are restricted to getting care from a limited number of doctors if you want your care. So it's not clear from your question whether you're covered through Medicare as your primary insurer and Medicaid as your secondary insurer uh, directly, traditional Medicare, in which case, if you're struggling to find a pain management doctor, one good idea, actually Laura's good idea, was that you see about getting a telehealth visit from a doctor who may not be close to where you live, but who Medicare may very well cover because Medicare still does cover telehealth services. So you may be able to get exactly what you need through the telehealth system. Uh, to find that doctor, you might contact your primary care doctor. Uh, whether you're in traditional Medicare or Medicare Advantage plan, your primary care doctor should be able to refer you to a specialist who who will be able to whose care will be covered by your insurer. So that's another way to go that is worth exploring. Um, Finally, uh, you might contact your insurer directly. If you are in a Medicare Advantage plan, a private plan uh, operated by an insurance company offering Medicare benefits and Medicaid benefits to dual eligibles, um, you might find that the insurer can provide you with the names of pain management doctors who will cover your care. Um, lastly, if you are still unable to find a pain management doctor, you should definitely file a grievance with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. You should have access one way or another, if not directly through telehealth, uh, to a pain management specialist if you need one, if it's medically reasonable and necessary for you to get that specialty care. And you might also contact your members of Congress and let them know that even though you have Medicare and Medicaid or other insurance as well, that you're not able to get the care you need. And your members of Congress often have really magical abilities to uh, twist the arms of the insurance companies and make sure that you are able to get uh, access to the doctors you need for your care. Thanks, Diane. Our next question is, what if uh, you've lost your insurance through Medicaid because you're no longer eligible? Uh, what can or should you do to get covered with health insurance? Alika? This is a situation many, many people are going to find themselves in in the next couple of months as states are now being permitted to redetermine people out of the Medicaid program, which they weren't allowed to do for a few years um, uh, with the public health emergency. Um, so if you have been in Medicaid for a long time and you're now navigating out um, because you're no longer eligible, you've gone and you've updated your income and Medicaid has told you, yep, we've looked at your income, you're no longer eligible for the program. 
Um, first of all, good to always check whether you're eligible for coverage, um, perhaps through uh, a current employer or as a dependent um, to someone who is offered employer-sponsored coverage. Uh, if you're not, then you can go to healthcare.gov, you can go to your state exchange, um, fill out an application um, and see if you are eligible for a plan on the Affordable Care Act marketplaces. Um, often, if you, are in, if you are in the income range where you are eligible for Medicare and that income has gone up just a little bit, um, you may still be eligible for very um, affordable, even free coverage um, through your state exchange. Thanks, Alika. Our next question is from Mario, who wants to know, how can anyone afford long-term care? Long-term care insurance is unaffordable, and they also increase the cost for the same benefit. Diane? Christian Mario, and a serious problem in this country. Uh, as you may know, seven out of 10 Americans will need long-term care at some point in our lives. And yet Congress has been unwilling to pass legislation that would guarantee us Americans, their constituents, access to affordable long-term care. Uh, we have, yes, long-term care insurance in this country, but I never recommend that people buy it because for the most part, the coverage is limited and very, very expensive. So yes, um, it will cover some of your care needs if you do have long-term care needs like bathing and toileting. But often that's only after a three-month waiting period where you have to pay in full. And often the coverage that these plans offer is capped. And so after a certain period of time, they stop covering your care. And then there are triggers for your care, meaning that if you don't need help with three activities of daily living or other um, other requirements, you won't get the coverage. So long-term care insurance is really not what people might think it is in most cases. Uh, that said, what do people do? So if you have Medicaid, uh, you can get pretty comprehensive long-term care still, uh, depending on the state you live in. Of course, um, some states offer more generous long-term care than others. But check to see if maybe you could qualify through Medicaid. Even if you're not eligible for Medicaid, right now in many states, you can spend down to Medicaid eligibility, meaning that if your health care needs are high, you can spend your income down to what would qualify you for Medicaid, and then Medicaid will kick in and provide you with home care or nursing home care. So that is actually your best bet today for affordable long-term care. Alternatively, people sometimes have family members, family members or friends who provide voluntary care. Uh, that's another way to go, but that's often not an option for people, in which case your local community services, uh, your church, your hospital, different um, community centers may be able to provide you with some long-term care at low or no cost. I would recommend that you call your area agency on aging in your community. They're scattered throughout the country, um, and there's usually one not too far from where people live. And those area agencies on aging are equipped to let you know what long-term care services are available near you. Thank you, Diane. And now I'd love to introduce our special guest for today. Jody Jacobson is the Executive Director of Healthcare Across Borders uh, to talk about abortion care and the war on medication abortion in America. Welcome, Jody. Thanks, Laura. Happy to be here. 
Thanks. So let's start with the Supreme Court just did something about uh, medication abortion. Can you tell us what happened and what that means? Yes. Um, basically, I want to reframe that this is a war on abortion care. It's a war on contraception. It's a war on essential care. It's also a war on gender affirming care, right? These are all connected. Medication abortion is one piece of the puzzle. And the reason that the right is going after it now is that they realized that after all the restrictions they put in place in different states, people can still get medication abortion through the mail and medication abortion is very safe. They can do it privately. So there's fewer ways to control people. And now they're going after that means of safe abortion care. So I think it's important to put it in that context. Um, what happened with the Supreme Court really goes back to what happened with this case that Justice uh, Judge Kosmarek in Texas who's a known right-wing operative, that's really a fair description of him, given his history. Um, he took up a case that challenged the approval of mifepristone, which is a key drug in the two-drug combination that's the most effective means of getting a medication, um, and went after a an approval of that drug that happened 23 years ago, which by the way, 23 years ago was also contested by and delayed by the far right argument. Um, that case was uh, then contested to the Fifth Circuit. What Kazmark did was effectively ban um, nationwide. And that was what we expected. It went to the Fifth Circuit and they said, well, we're not going to go as far as Kazmark did because the statute of limitations on this drug has passed. But what we are going to do in our all our non-scientific, non-public health wisdom is to take the availability of mifepristone back to 2016, which is when the FDA made it more widely available. It could be done through telemedicine. It could be done through the mail, uh, all sorts of different loosening up of the restrictions on mifepristone that were not ever really legitimate in the first place. Um, they also returned to an earlier decision about mifepristone being at seven weeks only, not 10 weeks. And what that tells you is that nothing about this case ever had anything to do with science or medicine, though the far right claims constantly that it's worried about. Um, so because you wouldn't take it back to the seventh week if you understood that there's no reason for that, given the scientific evidence, overwhelming. And by the way, mifepristone is very safe, even beyond 10 weeks. Then the Supreme Court got the case and they basically punted it back to the fifth surface, fifth surface. That's of concern to me. And I'll tell you why. It's a sham case. From the very beginning, it was a sham case. So from my vantage point, what the Supreme Court should have done was thrown it out completely and said, this is a sham case because there's nothing about the claims that the far right are making that are true, according to the science and the evidence. And there's nothing that these judges understand about the medical evidence or the public health data. So why are they getting themselves involved? And there's only one reason, because they want to take away this last means of accessing abortion, especially in red states. So where we are now is the Supreme Court sent it back to the Fifth Circuit, which is going to hear arguments on May 17th, 16th or 17th. And um, the case will be argued, then it will be decided again. I won't be surprised if the Fifth Circuit decides to play doctor and again reimposes a seven-week limitation, and then it will go back to the Supreme Court. All of this is chaotic. 
It is um, anti-medicine, anti-science. And part of the case, and I've seen a lot of stuff pulled by the far right in my career. I've spent most of my career on reproductive and sexual health and rights. Basically, the part of the case was based on the standing of doctors, far right wing doctors, who decided that they didn't want to be faced with having to treat a woman who might come to the hospital with a complication of medication, which by the way, has a lower complication rate than virtually all over the counter drugs. <laughs> so, you know, um, so bottom line, it's a, it's a sham case and we can expect more of this kind of as we go forward, because the right never meant let's, even though I don't think that's the right decision, they never meant that anyway, they never mean anything they say. And it's a precursor in its reference to the Comstock Act to going after contracts. So that's where we're at. We're waiting now for this case to go back to an extraordinarily conservative court um, and then be punted back up to the Supreme So we don't know when the Supreme Court is going to do a final ruling and we're kind of in limbo a little bit until then? Well, we are in a place where we're back at status quo before the before the court case was decided by Cus, which is where we should have been. In fact, we should have been at a place much further along than that by making medication abortion much more available. Um, but so right now there are, you know, none of the restrictions imposed by Cosmaric or the circuit court are in place until it goes back through the circuit court and gets decided again. And then almost certainly... So and medication how, abortion is available and legal. And how is it that one judge in Texas can determine the fate of a drug that's been approved for decades for the entire country? And could they go after other drugs for any reason? So, you know, I think it's important to realize that the, the right wing, and this is true of the right wing in most countries, healthcare and public health particularly are some of the first places to attack. Um, they undermine people's ability to live, you know, safe and help, ha happy lives, not to be chasing around after their healthcare. And so if you look at any authoritarian or fascist regime, they're going after public health and healthcare. Abortion in the United States, because of the Christian nationalist movement here, has always been the sort of tip of the spear of that effort. But you saw it in COVID with the vaccine, uh, with the vaccine conspiracy theories and the, you know, basically spreading theories about drugs that were horse tranquilizers. And, you know, they have no respect for public. And they also have equally an extremely strong desire, which they have had for over four decades to overturn any access to abortion. So they've planted strategically these judges in different places who are, you know, born, bred and pickled in the Christian nationalist movement. Kazmarek's mother was a so-called crisis pregnancy uh, center uh, chief executive or some such. Um, he was brought up in that movement. He's a fanatical anti-science judge. Um, he's aligned with the Christian nationalist movement. And that's how it happens. It happens when judges themselves become lawless because they decide that their personal views are more important than public health data, medical data, or fundamental human rights. That's what's happening. And so what happens if they get their way and this particular drug, Mifepristone, is restricted or even banned across the country? 
So a number of things are happening right now that will probably continue to happen or, or shift. One, right now, just to put this in context, right now, there are a lot of states in which abortion is banned, right? And in some of those states, there has been there have been bans placed specifically even on medication abortion. But put that aside for a second. People are getting access to it by going online and ordering it internationally or by going to the medication and abor- uh, the abortion and um, miscarriage hotline or by finding out through Plan C, plancorg plancpills.org, um, where to get medication abortion. Plan C Pills has been the foremost campaign in the United States to provide public education on Medicaid. And what is happening now is that even in banned states, people are getting access to medication abortion through the mail, or they're traveling to the border of another state and picking it up there and and doing safe abortions at home. Um, As that has sort of evolved, doctors in a number of states uh, with where abortion, contraception, infertility care, gender affirming care are all legal, have started to say, it's my medical duty to make sure people anywhere in the country, irrespective of zip code, get access to care. So I'm going to use telemedicine to counsel people who come to me, whether they're in Texas, Arkansas, wherever, um, and be able to mail them medication. Why is that important? Because I'll give you a specific, a woman in Texas orders medication abortion online from India. The pills take, she orders them at eight weeks, the pills take six weeks to get there. By the time she actually gets the pills in hand, she's 16 weeks pregnant. It's not unsafe for her, but you have much more fetal remains to deal with then. And you're dealing with evidence as opposed to a, a much earlier abortion where there's really no evidence um, or evidence that you you know could flush down the toilet effectively. Um, so the reason that it's important that doctors are acting right now is that it's a harm reduction approach, A, they're able to get people pills much earlier in the cycle and straight to them through the mail. And they're there to counsel anybody that needs help. Um, there are also other kinds of hotlines and other kinds of organizations all working on the same thing. Some of them are more clandestine than others. There are providers in many states across mostly the um, northern tier of the country that are doing this kind of thing. And there are groups that are doing medication abortion delivery via van. So um, so it's important that we do this harm reduction strategy because so many people are left without care. Um, right now, if mifepristone becomes banned, um, the drug misoprostol, which is the second drug, um, miso for short, um, is able to be used for abortion care, but it has more, when it's used solo, it has more um, after side effects, more pain, um, can be more heavier bleeding, that kind of stuff. So you want to give people the best of care, right? The highest standard of care. And that is the combination of those drugs. So what I've heard from most of the folks that I work with is that they will continue shipping uh, mifepristone and um, miso together um, irrespective of any ban, because they will continue to get those drugs from abroad and they will continue to operate in what is effectively, again, a harm reduction strategy. And the doctors that are doing these harm reduction strategies are doing so because they believe and they're raised as doctors to have a duty to care. 
So tell me more about your organization, Healthcare Across Borders, and what people can do if they support having the full access to healthcare in America, including medication abortion. Well, for one thing, they can write to the administration and no judge actually has the ability to override the FDA approval process. So it's kind of a political pickle, right? Because if you ignore a judge's order, you are looking like you're cherry picking the judge's orders that you want to ignore. And you are looking like you're allowing other people to do that. Whereas there isn't really any mechanism by which the court's are able to force the FDA to unapprove a drug. So you could insist that the administration take every step necessary not to let the FDA unapprove the drug. Um, You could tell the administration that you wanna make sure that the FDA doesn't enforce any any, uh, legally or otherwise any use of mifepristone um, because the FDA has discretion about which enforcement mechanisms it uses for what drugs, because there are many, you know this, Laura, many, many drugs used off-label in this country for really important reasons, because our regulatory process is so slow and cumbersome. Not that that's necessarily bad, but it's a little bit, you know, slow and cumbersome compared to others. And because of that, many drugs don't get approved and they get used off, even when there are studies from Europe and elsewhere that show that they're perfectly safe. So use of off-label drugs and not enforcing, you know, using enforcement mechanisms against that is commonplace. Another thing people can do um, is support the passage of shield laws. Um, One of the things that Healthcare Across Borders is doing is helping to pass shield laws in several states. One of the states we're most active in now is California, where um, Senator Nancy Skinner has introduced a bill and has been through the um, the first committee, passed through out of the first committee uh, last week in, in the California Assembly. Um, and that bill, what that bill would do is provide a shield to any provider, it could be a nurse, it could be a doctor, who uses telemedicine to provide care that is legal in California to someone in any other state. In other words, the bill says, irrespective of patient life. This bill would allow providers in California to provide essential care, abortion care, contraceptive care, infertility care, and gender affirming care via telemedicine to people in other states where those things are banned. Because we are creating a public health emergency here on many levels. Similar shield laws are introduced in Vermont, New York, working their way through New Jersey. Um, One has already been passed in Massachusetts. And basically they say, if a doctor or nurse who is licensed in California, using California as the example, provides this, uh, you know, service, this public health service, medical service, and the state of Texas comes after them, We're not giving them their records. We're not helping extradite them. We are protecting their license here. We're protecting their medical malpractice insurance. We are keeping those providers safe. So it gives providers the ability and permission to basically do what is effectively medical civil disobedience. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Jody, and having this conversation. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening please call and text in your questions for future episodes and we will get you answers in the next show. And thanks for joining us at Care Talk. Thank you so much.